0: The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Uh, But let me invite you now to open your copy of God's Word with me to Genesis 26. If you need a Bible, grab one in the pew rack in front of you there and open with me to the book of Genesis and chapter 26. We are in our fifth week of continuing in the book of Genesis in this Generations of Grace series where we're looking at the lives of the second and third generation patriarchs, the lives of Isaac and Jacob, and we've called it Generations of Grace as we are looking to trace the lineage of God's covenant faithfulness through the various ages and generations of God's people as He never changes and stays the same, so His promises to His people remain and stay the same as well. As you're going there to Genesis 26, we're going to be concluding this chapter today as we're looking still at the life of Isaac. Uh, But the benefit of going to the Scriptures, especially the Old Testament, and reading these Uh, wonderful stories of these people is not just to hear a story and gain a bit of wisdom or a few life lessons, but rather to trace God's faithfulness to the generations of His people so that we can grow in our confidence living in the time that we live in to trust God even as our forefathers trusted God in their various circumstances and trials and sufferings. So too should we, in our various trials, circumstances and sufferings, learn to trust God's faithfulness learn to see beyond the circumstances that we can observe with our eyes, and learn to live by faith in a world that is oftentimes filled with various difficulties. We're learning the truth of God from these patriarchs' lives, learning that their God is our God and their story is our story. And the big theme this morning is the question of what does it look like to be blessed of God, or to uh, have God bless you. We're thinking about covenant blessings this morning, and we want to emphasize that living in covenant with God, living in relationship with God, is what the blessed life is. There are lots of thoughts and opinions about what it means to be blessed. People toss out the word blessed often. It's like something of a haphazard hashtag, and people say, oh, I'm blessed for this reason and blessed for that reason. But what do they mean? What does it mean to be blessed of God? And we want to say that to be blessed of God is to be in covenant relationship with Him, in union with Him through faith in Jesus Christ, and the benefits that come from that spiritual union. And we're going to see that today in the life of the second generation patriarch, Isaac. And from this, uh, we're going to see, yes, some very practical life lessons, but we're also going to see the big picture of God's covenant grace and mercy. So, If you've got your Bible open there in Genesis 26, that's good. Let's pause and pray and ask God's blessing upon the Scriptures that we might hear by faith today. Great God, we pause now in Your presence and say that we we love Your Word. We love the Scriptures. We're thankful for the Bible. Uh, We're mindful today that, that there are still people in the world that don't have a copy of the Scriptures in a language that they can access. And so, how blessed we are in abundance to have not just... One copy, but many, many copies of the Bible. And Lord, it's oftentimes our shame that we don't turn to Your Word. So we ask now in this moment that as we open the Scriptures, that You, by Your Spirit, might speak to us the words of life, that we might encounter You, the living God, in the Scriptures, that You would bless us and lead us in all truth. Come and speak now, Lord, by the power of Your Spirit. For Your servants listen, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hear now the Word of God, Genesis 26, at verse 23 through the end. This is the Word of God. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with the Huzath, his advisor, and Fickle, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me, and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm. Just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servant came and told him about the well they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba, therefore the name of the city is called Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. So may he write eternal truth on our hearts today. Keep your Bible open there in Genesis 26 as we consider what it means to live in covenant with God and be blessed in that covenant with God I want us to see uh, three realities that are present here in this text as uh, Isaac shows us what it looks like to live as a faithful follower of God in the midst of a, of a land and in the midst of a people that is often hostile to him and creating difficulty for him. Uh, what we've seen so far in this chapter, especially in recent weeks, is that there had been a famine in the land, and so Isaac has left the promised land and traveled into the region of the Philistines, and there he encountered difficulties such that they sent him away from them, and as Isaac went away from them, they made life exceedingly bitter and difficult for Isaac. We'll come back to that reality here in just a moment. But before we get into those types of details, I want us to see, first of all, what blessed assurance looks like in God's covenant. Assurance. Uh, the theme of assurance is a very important one in the Scriptures. Being confident in God's promises is what that means. We want to see how God provides assurance as a blessing to Isaac, and maybe even consider what type of assurance that God might bless us with in Jesus Christ. So look again with me at verse 23 as Isaac goes up to Beersheba. At Beersheba, the Lord appears to him (coughs) to confirm the covenant promises to him. Look again at verse 23. It says, From there, he, that is Isaac, went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Now remember, Isaac has been in the midst of a tumultuous time with contentious neighbors, making life difficult for him. He's been wandering through the way and moving from place to place as... Uh, uh, some of his neighbors had been closing up wells that belonged to him so he couldn't water his flocks and making life difficult for him so he's been wandering along the way Isaac's life has been difficult it's been trying he's been faced with temptations and circumstances that are compelling him towards sin but he's got to respond with faith and obedience to believe in and trust God that's what's been happening so far so contentious neighbors anxiety about his future and in the midst of life happening to him with all of its difficulties God God comes to him to confirm His promises to him. God comes to Isaac and says, again in verse twenty-four, "I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you." Now, I want you to notice in what God says to Isaac is that God is repeating to Isaac, the second generation patriarch, the same promises that He had given to Abraham, Isaac's father. Fear not. God says, for just as I was your father's God, so too am I your God, Isaac. And the promises that I've given to your father are promises that belong to you, Isaac. I will be with you. I will bless you. I will multiply your offspring. These are the exact same Abrahamic promises from Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. As God says, my word is true, my promises are good, and as I swore to your father, so I swear to you, Isaac, I am your father's God. Notice that when he says in verse 24, I am the God of Abraham. It's one of the first times in the Old Testament that God attaches a human name to his own name. Normally, God says, I am the Lord Almighty, etc. But in this instance, He says, I am the God of Abraham. He brings Abraham's name to Himself to identify Himself as the eternal God. He takes Abraham's name to Himself to say, I am the God of Abraham. Isaac, I am the God of your father. Notice how God is so very personally saying, I am your God. I am your God. I take your name, the name of your father, to myself as an identifier for you to recognize who I am so that you, Isaac, would also know that your father's God is your God too. Isn't that important? Jumping very quickly as a point of application. Don't we want that reality for our children and for our grandchildren? So that they might say, our nieces and nephews... My God is my father's God. My God is my mother's God. My grandmother's God. My grandfather's God. My uncle's God. My, my, my aunt's God. What does that communicate? It communicates the generational insistence that this God is our God. This is the God of our family. And successive generations learning that in every generation we must call God our own. But God says... As I was faithful to your father, so I am faithful to you. That you must also learn of my promises and learn of my truth and learn to walk in my ways so that you, Isaac, would pass to your son a generation of faithfulness in believing in me. And Notice what Isaac does in response to this in verse 25. Verse 25, There at Beersheba he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there where his servants had dug a well. I want you to notice this reality here, that God comes to Isaac and says, here is my word, here is my promises, here is the covenant, here is this assurance. And then Isaac responds in worship and faithfulness. You know, oftentimes people have this backwards. People think that they should worship God to manipulate Him into getting what they want from Him if I worship God or, or do what He wants, then maybe He'll give me X, Y, or Z. They think that by worshiping God, they will place God in their debt such that He will have to respond to them. They think that worship is what we do to manipulate God, but actually Isaac reminds us of the truth of the matter, right? Right? God's Word comes first. God's grace comes first. God's covenant and preeminence of His mercy comes first, and our worship is a response to His grace. We don't worship God to try to purchase grace. You can't purchase grace. You don't worship God to try to merit or earn or achieve standing before God. All of our worship is in response to sovereign mercy and grace. And Isaac shows us that. It is a response to grace received, not an attempt to manipulate God. So that's how, loved one, you should think about your approach to God in worship. You don't come here to worship God in order to try to put Him into your debt, but rather because He has given everything to you already in Jesus Christ. And your worship is a gracious response to the grace that you have already received. And as Isaac worships God, as he builds the altar and calls upon the name of the Lord, he is saying through his worship, I will trust this God. I will believe this God's Word. I will take His covenant as my own and call on the God of my Father as my God as well. And in this, his assurance of God's promises is being cemented. It's being strengthened. God's Word is true. His covenant is right, and I must trust Him. Likewise, dear friends, you and I must worship God in response to His grace and bless His name for all of His mercy. That's what we see first of all. But then secondly, as we get into this interaction between Isaac and the Philistines, especially Abimelech, there's always tension that exists between the people of God and the Canaanite people, particularly here the Philistines. But this particular episode is important because it falls just after what's happened where he had just been with Abimelech and Abimelech sent him away. And as Abimelech sent him away, some of his servants made life difficult for him, filling wells so that Isaac couldn't water his cattle, etc., Isaac has gone away from them. In fact, he went so far away that he could finally live in peace. That's where we finished at verse 22 last week, as he finally got far enough away where he could finally say now, in verse 22, now there's room for me, now we can be at peace. But then, here comes Abimelech again, verse 26 when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Athusa, his his advisor, and Philco the commander of the army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? So what we want to see now in the text is after Isaac has been assured of God's covenant, now he is going to be reminded that the reason why God blesses us, the reason why God blesses us, is so that we might be a blessing to others. Abimelech, the Philistine king, is coming now to make a covenant of peace with Isaac at Beersheba. And the reason why is because as Isaac went away, he's been multiplied, his flocks have increased, the strength of his community has increased, he would likely have had an army, and he would have likely had many tents and shields and a way to protect himself, such that he would be seen in the eyes of Abimelech as a rival nation. Isaac has become so strengthened that as he's gone away, Abimelech now realizes that it is to Abimelech's advantage no longer to just send Isaac away from him, but rather to be at peace with him, because if they were to come into contention, Isaac was far greater. And so it would be to Abimelech's advantage to be at peace with Isaac. So I want you to see that Abimelech is being totally pragmatic about this. Look, if we were to fight, you would take me, in other words, right? So let's make a truth. I'll come to you and will make a truth. But nevertheless, he is compelled toward Isaac. He says in verse 28, Let there be a covenant between us. Now, we want to see this in two layers. And the first layer, very quickly, is that we want to say, this is how things should be, by the way, for believers. If we are living our lives with sincerity, there should be something attractive about us as the people of God that would incline people to be drawn to us. Just very quickly, what's happening here is Abimelech is coming to Isaac. That we should be characteristically known by our love. We should be known not as grumblers, but as uh, peacemakers rather than troublemakers. Christians should be the kind of neighbors that people want to have as their neighbors, rather than being upset that the Christian is my neighbor. And what we see here very basically is is Isaac is living out the reality that we were addressing last week and again here today as the Apostle Paul says, As far as possible, you should live at peace with all men. You should be at peace with people. As Christian believers, we should not be contentious, obnoxious jerks to our neighbors, but rather people who draw others to themselves in a way that people seek out community with us. Abimelech comes to Isaac, and Isaac demonstrates this reality. Now, now remember, Isaac has been utterly wronged by Abimelech. But Abimelech comes to him in verse 29 and says, Well, we've always treated you right, haven't we? We've always been fair to you. We've always been at peace with you. We sent you away at peace in verse 29. Isaac could have taken that opportunity to say, Oh, yeah? Is that the way you think about this relationship because i got news for you of everything that you've ever done to me? It could have gone to the riot act and said, Abimelech, you've done this, 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 and this. But Isaac doesn't do any of that. Do you see that? Isaac doesn't take the opportunity of someone who's made his life miserable to read him the riot act of all the things that he's ever done wrong. Filling his wells, commandeering his own flocks. He doesn't do that. But you know what? You and I have an impulse to do that. When people come to us and we say, okay, good, now that you're here, I've got ten years worth of beef to lay back to you and say, here's what I think of you. We have that impulse within us by our nature when people wrong us. But Isaac is here demonstrating the wisdom of Solomon from Proverbs 19.11 which says this, Wisdom gives a man patience And it is a glory to overlook an offense. It is to a man's glory to overlook an offense. In other words, keeping short accounts. And Isaac is keeping short accounts with Abimelech that rather than reading back to him all of his objections, he says, I will receive you and agree to be at peace with you. But this is more than just a, a lesson on good neighboring and wise behavior. There's, there's, a, there's another layer to this text that I want to make sure that we see, just like there's another layer to why we do certain things like the harvest party and trunk or treats. It's not just to pass out candy for the sake of passing out candy. There's a purpose. There's a reason. There's a, there's a mission at stake. And Isaac's covenant peace with Abimelech is more than just making room for both of us. There's a bigger purpose in all of this. It's all about God's covenant being confirmed, not just to Isaac, but also to Abimelech. Because all the way back from Genesis 12 through this chapter, in chapter 26, verse 4, it was always God's purpose that His people would live in such a way that they would be blessed by God, yes, but that by living in faithfulness to God, they would be a blessing to other people around them. It is always God's purpose in His covenant to say, I will bless you so that you would be a conduit of blessing to other people. God promised that the nations would come and find a blessing for themselves in Abraham and his descendants. And so when Abimelech comes to make peace with Isaac, It's God's purposes to bless the nations that's being revealed. And the big point of this reality here, if you can follow the narrative of Scripture, is that there is peace to be found with God in the seed of Abraham. There is peace to be found with God in the seed of Abraham, Abraham's true son, ultimately who is the Lord Jesus Christ who offers blessing and peace to all who would come to him. This blessing of this foreigner, this blessing of a sinner, this blessing of someone who's made life difficult for Isaac, foreshadows the reality that those who are outside the covenant might yet be blessed as they come. So notice, notice what draws Abimelech there in verse 28. Abimelech says, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Abimelech says we can't deny that God is with you by Isaac's lifestyle, by his peaceable nature. The blessing of God rested upon Isaac and Isaac by his life was demonstrating the visible truth of the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. And Abimelech, an unbelieving pagan, says it seems like you're different and it seems like God is with you. This is more than just a covenant of peace about not quarreling over pasture and grazing rights. This is a revelation of God's redemptive purposes so that the nations who don't know God might come to know God through His people who bear witness of Him to the nations. You notice there in verse 28, as Abimelech comes to him and says, The Lord is with you. He uses uh, the covenant name of God. We see plainly that the Lord, L-O-R-D, all capital letters, is with you. Abimelech is using the covenant name of God, and he's not a man who's in covenant with God. So you have to ask, how does he know that? How does he know God's name? Because God only tells his name to those who are in covenant with him, who are heirs of the promises. How does Abimelech know God's name? And the answer must be, he must have been told. There must have been people in his life, namely Isaac, Abraham, that bore witness of the truth of this God to that man in such a way that he could say, that's the God of Isaac, and that God is with him, and I want to be blessed of him. So the big picture here is that God blesses Isaac not just so that Isaac can have his own little piece of pasture and his own well, but rather so that living water might flow through Isaac and go out to the nations so that those who don't know God might come into the knowledge of God because the people of God are living to bear witness to the God of the covenant. This is just basic missional evangelistic reality happening here in Genesis 26. So we should ask the question by way of application. As Abimelech comes to Isaac, are there people in your life, unbelievers, who could come to you and say, something's different about you. Can't quite put my finger on it. Maybe there's some sense of explanation. What's different about you? The question then is, is our walk consistent with our profession? Is there a blessing that flows out from you to others around you? Even in simple ways. Kindness, patience, mercy, love. Is there a blessing that flows from you because you are blessed of God to other people in such a way, perhaps your peaceableness, your gentleness, your gentleness that points people to the one true God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Your God, because God is with you, there is an observable reality that something is different. Abimelech says, you're different, Isaac, and I want to be at peace with you. Isaac is demonstrating the proper way of relating to those around him, living by faith, living in peace, trusting in the Lord, even in the midst of difficult people and circumstances, to trust in God and point others to Him at the same time, to believe that God's promises are His promises and they hold fast and they are true. Isaac is a faithful covenant member, a son of God, living in covenant with God, and as a result, he is blessed. That's the point there. You are blessed, is Isaac. But as a word of conclusion, there's a caution here. It's oftentimes the case that in Genesis you will find something of a tag at the end to transition the narrative. You notice there at verse 34 and 35 there's a different change. There's a change of direction. There's a change of generation because now in addition to all these blessings of the covenant, the blessings of assurance, the blessings of being a blessing to others, now at the close there is a blessing of warning. There's a blessing of caution here in verse 34 and 35. Speaking of Esau, Esau is Jacob's uh, brother, Isaac's son. So in chapter 26, we've been reading of Isaac. Now there's this concluding word about Isaac's son, Esau. Look again at the text with me at verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Biri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and rebecca this is now the blessing of warning because there is a concluding stark word of contrast to isaac is his son esau because isaac's son esau is living in the opposite direction of his father esau is a man who disregards God's covenant and God's law. Esau has no concern for their covenant. He has no concern for spiritual things. He has no concern for the promised land of living by faith. Just like in chapter 25, he sold off his birthright because he didn't care. He further demonstrates that he doesn't care by taking up to himself not just one, but two Hittite wives. You say, what's the big deal with that? Well, besides the polygamy of it all, which is never authorized in Scripture, is the fact that Abraham, do you remember, went to great pains to find a wife for his son, not among the Canaanite people, because God told Abraham that for your family to perpetuate the line of the covenant, you must not intermarry with unbelievers, lest you pollute the willingness of following me amongst your family. And Esau... Even though his father, Isaac, took a wife for himself that was not of the Canaanite people, Esau says, I don't care about that. Not only will I have one foreign wife, I'll have two. As a demonstration that Esau spurns the covenant, rejects the blessing and obligations, and as a result, in verse 35, becomes a great grief to his parents. Sometimes our children might marry in such a way to be a great blessing. Sometimes they marry in such a way to make life bitter. And that's exactly what is described here that Esau does. So this concluding word is saying, Don't scorn the grace of the covenant and reject God's Word. Don't reject God's promises. Don't reject the obligations of the covenant that says you are to take this faith and perpetuate it to the next generation in such a way that successive generations will call upon my name and own the covenant for myself, for themselves. because this God is your God in every generation. And Esau says, not my God. To great sorrow to Isaac. So, the concluding word here is that to be blessed of God is to live in covenant with God and to enjoy the blessings of the covenant so that we can say, as we do, at the beginning of every single one of our worship services, do you notice it around here? He is our God. We are His people. That's not perfunctory throwaway language. That's very intentional because it's the language of owning the covenant. This God is my God, this God is our God. This is the God of my children and the God of my grandchildren. The reason why we bring the kids up here is not just to parade them in front of you because they're cute, but because we want them to know that, that our God is their God too. That they belong in the family of God that they need to own the faith for themselves. That's what our communicants class students do. When they stand up here on their own two feet, when they're much taller than they are when they sit down here on the steps, then they stand on their own two feet and say, I believe for myself and take my father's God or my mother's God to be my God as well. And we want that perpetually for every successive generation. Look, if you do estate planning, if you do financial planning, for things that are perishable and will fade away, you should be concerned to do spiritual estate planning to be sure that your children and your grandchildren are owning the covenant for themselves to say this God is my father's God, my mother's God, my God as well. We want to know the blessings of the covenant and hand it down from generation to generation and by God's grace, may we do so and be blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word its promises and truth, and pray that even as we look upon these ancient pages, we might see fresh and relevant truth for our own time. We ask, Lord, for all the grace and the strength of Your Holy Spirit to claim You, to live in obedience to You, and be blessed by You, that we might also be a blessing to others who do not know that they might come into the light of Jesus Christ through faith in His name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.